0: Hi, this is Leslie Chapman Henderson. I'm president and CEO of the nonprofit Federal Alliance for Safe Homes. I'm going to be your host today for our podcast, Strong Homes Safe Families, where we help you prepare for disasters of all kinds. Today, we're going to be talking about the National Hurricane Resilience Initiative, also known as Hurricane Strong. And to do that right, we have to talk to our co creator. Inspiration and longtime partner, Dr. Rick Nab, who's the on-air hurricane expert and tropical program manager for the Weather Channel, resilience champion, and the 2017 National Weather Person of the Year. Welcome, Rick.
1: Leslie, it is so good to be talking to you as always, and I really am thrilled that Flash has a podcast. I've been a long-time avid podcast listener. I listen to them all the time, and. This is going to really help build the community.
0: Well, we're just delighted to have you here. And obviously, we can't do a podcast without you because you are part of the brain trust behind this entire effort. Believe it or not, it's been five years since we created the program. But before we talk about that, not that people don't already know you so well, I would like to just ask you to share a little bit about your background and your journey that has brought you to the Weather Channel. And then we can get into talking about the project.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, like a lot of people in the weather world, I've been fascinated with and afraid of the weather since I was a toddler. And I caught the hurricane bug really growing up in South Florida when uh, Hurricane David was threatening. And I remember we taped our windows. No, no, no. Yeah, We didn't know any better back then, uh, my parents and I. And we uh, were watching Neil Frank. Reef uh, from the Hurricane Center. And I remember telling my mom and dad at the time, I'd like to do his job someday. And I- I'd never lost the hurricane bug at all. And it came out of a, a scientific interest, but also a fear. And it's kind of like when you want to be able to figure out what makes something tick when you're afraid of it, so you can at least feel like you can do something more about it. And I never looked back. And I have lived in hurricane prone areas just about my entire life, you know, fl- different parts of Florida including Tallahassee Florida State University for grad school, Hawaii for a postdoc and for working at the Central Pacific Hurricane Center, but then this is my second time working at the Weather Channel and I've worked two different times at the Hurricane Center as a forecaster and as the director. So Pretty much, Leslie, the way I summarize my life is uh, everywhere I've lived, I've liked it it so much, I've lived there twice.
0: (laughs) And everywhere you've worked uh, professionally, hurricanes were front and center. And thank goodness, because you've, you've, you've provided tremendous service to the public in each and every one of those roles. Now, one of the things that You know, at our organization, one of the key groups of partners come from meteorology because you guys have such a passion for weather and the effects of weather. But not every meteorologist has taken resilience on as a cause and become a champion the way you have. So why is it that you, in your role as a meteorologist, transitioned to helping us talk to the public about things like building codes and the things that go beyond the weather?
1: That's because I've, I've never, ever been completely satisfied with giving the forecasts and the warnings and hoping people will act and keep themselves safe. I've always wanted to get as real world as I can with people about what they actually need to do to keep themselves safe, to keep their family safe, to keep their home or their business safe. And their financial situation safe. And it, I think it really came out of dinner table conversations with my family members. You know, I have family members who live in all kinds of different hurricane-prone areas. And whenever I would talk to them before hurricane season, whenever I would talk to them as a hurricane was approaching where they lived, the meteorology only interested them for a minute or so. But then the conversations always got more focused on, well, what are we going to do if the home is damaged? How are we going to get the shutters up? What's our insurance situation? Are we in an evacuation zone? It became far more tangible and not just about the weather. And then, Leslie, when I was on the Hurricane Awareness Tours for many years at the Hurricane Center, for many years, we would talk about storm surge and rainfall and wind and tornadoes and coastal effects and rip currents. And, and then I would just kind of hope that the actual things that people needed to do would just kind of get worked into the stories that the folks in the media were writing. And then I, I finally decided, you know what, we need to start telling people what they actually need to do. And that's where topics like evacuation and supplies and insurance and uh, strengthening your home that became the pillars of the Hurricane Strong program came from. Those are the things I was talking about on the ground with people and that I wanted to be the focus of the conversation as hurricane season approached and as a hurricane was approaching. So it was never enough just to talk about the weather.
0: So that is so, so interesting, because I was looking at the first time we huddled and started strategizing to do something. If you can believe it, it's been five years since we got together in Atlanta as a group. And I think that you were the passion and really the person that drove it. Well, I know you were the person that drove the creation of Hurricane Strong. But there was such an interesting time. We seemed to go from a spectrum of hurricane amnesia, because we were on the about the 10-year mark of no significant activity. And now it couldn't be more opposite. But just to what you said, I mean, we go back and forth over the decades, and I've been around long enough to watch the bounce back a couple times here. The public is either highly engaged on this or they're not engaged at all because of the lack of activity. But where what it comes down to is giving them the specific actions you know what you can do about it it's um and i don't know if it was benjamin franklin or whoever is attributed with the quote everyone talks about the weather but nobody does anything about it right but but the emphasis here is that we're trying to help people with the specific five pillars and what we talk about those so let's let's get into those a little bit we've got first and foremost in hurricane strong Well, backing up a little bit, we also talk about the fact that we tend to bombard the public with a little bit too much information, right? We're giving them the semester on what we want them to do. So how do you think our breaking it down into pillars is working? And do we have the right buckets? And we can kind of move through those if you want to, starting with safety
1: yeah i i really do think that we are changing the conversation I, I mean i noticed after we started using this messaging after the first hurricane awareness tour where we did so that the media coverage and the conversations during and after that week got more focused on these topics and you know again they were topics we had been talking about previously but it galvanized everybody to focus on these particular topics and safety you're you getting through the storm itself uh, you know has to be first and foremost and and i usually start the conversation on hurricane preparedness and resilience with the evacuation question because it's it, you first and foremost you got to decide where are you going to be during the storm to maximize your safety and you got to know if you can even stay in your home if a big hurricane is coming, if you have to evacuate for storm surge or because you live in a mobile home or for whatever reason. You got to find that out first and foremost. And once you know if you're in an evacuation zone, then just about everything else follows from that. You know, again, first and foremost, in the weather world, we're trying to ensure people's safety during the storm. And so that's where the conversation usually starts. And I think uh, this year here in 2020, we've seen more coverage of that issue, especially given the complications with the pandemic. Planning ahead has always been a better plan than waiting to the last minute to figure out how you're going to stay safe during the storm. This year has even more forced the issue for people to plan ahead to stay safe from multiple issues.
0: And as you know, we did a survey before the season started and the, the intention to prepare was up by seven points because uh, specifically of considerations, people wanted to be able to safely take shelter at home, but they needed to understand to your point, what we're trying to get them to do is answer the question, where will you be? So personal safety is always the the starting point. And to me, the next one, under the bucket of family preparedness, we talk about a lot of different things, but comfort is the word to me that drives that everything from the, the peace of mind that comes from having a plan to having things on hand? What are the kinds of messages that really work? I've seen you and um, helped you put some kits together on the Weather Channel and just the different things that really jump out. What are are some of your favorite things that you have in hand for your family? You actually gave me a couple tips and things I've gone shopping and purchased that not everyone thinks of that help you get through the storm, especially if the power goes out.
1: Yeah, having supplies uh, to get through the preparation for the storm, the storm itself, and importantly for the potentially nasty and lengthy aftermath is necessary for a number of reasons. As again, it, it's it's another one of those things that if you wait until the last minute to assemble your hurricane supplies, or for any disaster for that matter, we should all have an emergency kit on hand all the time, 365, 24-7, but... First and foremost, has to do with safety. I mean, you have to think about what are you going to do if the worst happens and your community and maybe even your home are badly damaged and you might have to fend for yourself for many hours or even many days. You need things to keep yourself safe and alive. First aid kits, prescription medications that you would get ahead of time and water and non-perishable foods and you know, anything that you would desperately need to have if you were trapped in in your home or your community in the aftermath for an extended period of time. And then it goes on to, you know, things that have more to do with with convenience and kind of keeping your sanity. But uh, it really starts with medications, first aid kits, and, you know, the life essentials.
0: Right. And the communication plan and the phone numbers and you know, all the things yep. that we talk about. And and it's interesting. We have to remind ourselves sometimes that even though we've heard all this before, each and every year we have a new generation of people or maybe they're transplants to the so-called hurricane zones who don't know these fundamentals. And that's what's so nice about being able to move them through these pillars. So, you've, you know, you champion these messages. But one of the ones I in particular think you really move the needle on is financial security. So after safety and and comfort and surviving the aftermath, you have to have the resources to build back and to come back. And you have really helped imprint that discussion into this whole idea of resilience from hurricanes. Talk to me about why you take time to talk about insurance and the checkup.
1: Yeah, that's because too often weather disasters and other disasters become financial disasters if people aren't properly insured. And there's so much of human nature that causes us to you know, focus on today's problems and, and we're, we're not as good at, at thinking ahead. And if you think ahead to what would happen if your home was significantly damaged to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars or maybe even getting into the six figures or more, it can financially ruin you and, you know, we don't like to think about uh, insurance, not a, a not a, a fun topic. And people sometimes equate going to visit your insurance agent, like going to the dentist or something. You know, yeah, I know it's good for me, but it's no fun and I don't want to do it. It's going to cost me money and all that. But I always tell people that you got to fantasize reality a little bit and realize that the most important thing that you can do for yourself and your family for after the storm is to be able to financially stay afloat. You don't want to turn what's a few days or weeks of a disaster into years that you never recover from financially. And there's, unfortunately, a lot of misunderstandings about insurance out there. And you know, one of them, generally speaking, is that, well, the government will bail me out. Uh, if it's a big, big disaster, the government will just pay for everything, even if I don't have insurance. And that is not true. The government assistance after a disaster does not make you whole. And the other major misconception is that conventional homeowners and renters insurance covers for everything. And especially there's a misconception that it covers for flood. And it does not. You need separate flood insurance. And flooding is the most expensive, most common, most deadly natural disaster over the long haul that we deal with in this country. And we are woefully, as a country, underinsured for flood but part of the way we can improve those numbers is just to dispel the myth that your conventional insurance covers for flood. Once people realize it doesn't and that you need to call your insurance agent and demand flood insurance, and if they tell you you don't need it, then go see someone else because just about everybody needs flood insurance.
0: What do we say? Where it rains, it can flood, right? Absolutely. So the fourth bucket, Is damage prevention on this one in particular, I think we owe you a tremendous thank you for helping, you know, insurance is a really important engine for recovery, but as you mentioned, not necessarily the first thing everybody wants to focus on or think about. But another really essential element to hurricane resilience that people don't like to think about is their building code and how their home was built, you know, beyond looking at the aesthetics, like the the color of the walls and the granite countertops and maybe, you know, some nice stainless steel appliances, people naturally and understandably are not that interested in what's behind the wall. You know, if there's metal connectors there. Or if when, you know, your home was built that the building code used provided a really strong and and solid recipe because it was a model code and it had enough nails connecting the deck to the trusses so that it doesn't blow off in a hurricane. And you've really helped socialize and normalize conversations about the strength of the home through Hurricane Strong Do you ever get any feedback about that? I mean, has anyone ever told you? I mean, we hear feedback when we talk to you on air about it. People say, gosh, I'm glad you brought up the garage door thing because I really thought I needed a better one. But do you ever hear feedback about the damage prevention piece to this? Are people curious or what have you heard?
1: Most of the feedback that I hear when I convey this information is surprise because people have been kind of living in this false sense of security and a world of assumptions where they presume that somebody along the line put the laws in place and somebody along the line decided that every home was going to be built to withstand just about anything and that there wasn't too much to worry about. The house looks strong, so I I feel confident that it is. And, and that's a misconception that I know you at Flash have really helped uh, to debunk because you know, you've know you brought to light with the no code, no confidence initiative that uh, so many of us have this assumption that our communities have strong building codes and that our home has been built about as strong as it can be and there's, there's nothing more that can be done to make it any stronger. And you've also brought to the forefront this horrible habit we have in this world and including here in this country of when we rebuild we build it back the same way and then we expect a, a different outcome next time and we keep that cycle that you've talked about of you build it you damage it you rebuild it you damage it and, you, and nothing ever gets any better and so i have been saying what you've been saying a lot and that is we've got to build back better And I hear that phrase more and more out there in in conversation and in coverage of disasters. The word resilience is a little more appreciated in the context of disaster safety now than it used to be. But we still have a lot of work to do because a lot of people still don't really realize that their building codes aren't as strong as they could be. And I think more importantly, cut into the chase of what the individual homeowner and family member business owner deals with is we got to keep hammering home the idea that's so important that making your home stronger to the tune that it will save you tens of thousands of dollars and lessen your insurance claim and, and in the process uh, lessen your insurance premiums because you can get breaks on your insurance premiums by, by making your home stronger in many cases. But people assume that it's going to be so expensive to make their home stronger, but it's not relative to the money you can save. A few hundred bucks here can save tens of thousands of dollars down the road. And one of the best examples is some of the ceiling tape you can put in between the panels of a of the underlayment of a roof when you're re-roofing to keep the water out. That's pennies compared to the total cost of the roof and tiny pennies compared to the money you can save later on down the road. So it's not as expensive as people might think and It's easier to do than people might think, and uh, we got to keep spreading that word.
0: And you have, through your role on the Weather Channel and your partners on Weather Underground, have really carved out a space for the discussion of disaster resilience. And our friend, Dr. Ann Cope from IBHS, likes to talk about that sealed roof deck when you put that tape on the joints of the deck how if you don't have a sealed roof deck, you can end up with bathtubs full of water per minute entering into your attic space. And so, you know, having those conversations, I mean, it's our role to identify that and verify the information and package it up in a way that the public can understand it. But when we have a partner like you with the platform you have to really get the word out and to validate it is when I think you know the success starts. And I have some happy news on that sealed roof deck. That requirement used to be considered an upgrade, a, a resilience upgrade. And it, huh. is now, yeah. it is now part of the um, next version of the model code that will be required mm-hmm. in communities that have a code adopted. So there is great policy progress that mm-hmm. comes as a result of these conversations and the awareness. So the fifth pillar of Hurricane Strong is, I think, the one that makes our hearts the happiest and all of us, and it's community service. You know, this idea of moving through a progression where you ascertain and address how you're going to be safe and prepared, have financial security to recover, and then prevent damage to your home. Then it's the question of how can I turn around and get back in my community, whether it's in my neighborhood or in a more formal way. I mean, this is one of the things I think that maybe people don't understand the role of the volunteer community in bringing communities back for many years after the storms.
1: Absolutely. And you know, the first thing that always comes to my mind when I think about how we can help one another is let's start, you know, those of us who have who have the means and have gotten ourselves and our families and our businesses and our homes ready, think about the elderly friends and family members that you know and help them out because we know From years and decades of dealing with hurricanes and other disasters that our elderly friends and family members are disproportionately affected by the direct impacts of a storm, like too many of them dying in the storm surge of Katrina and Sandy, and disproportionately affected by the indirect effects of the storm. Too many of them dying from cardiovascular failure or from carbon monoxide poisoning from a generator. There's so many ways We can help them out. It basically comes down to help someone out who's less fortunate than you, whether it's because of uh, their health or because of their financial situation or whatever it might be. All of us know somebody who could use some help before, during, and after the storm. And that can not only just be a nice thing to do, it can save their life. And more broadly speaking, there are a lot of organizations that you can get involved with in your community. For helping people get ready beforehand, helping people recover in the aftermath, and there are—if none of that appeals to you or is possible for you—but you have the financial means. There are so many organizations that you can donate to. And one last thing, one last way that this picture looks very positive to me is with the evacuation question. If you live in an evacuation zone, then your plan is to figure out where you're going to go and how you're going to get there if you're told by local officials to evacuate. But Everybody else can play a role here too. If you don't live in an evacuation zone, work it out with somebody to be their evacuation destination. And Leslie, that has become a really important message this year, given the pandemic, so we can lessen the number of people uh, having to go to public shelters and and not being able to maintain distancing or not being someplace that can take their pets or that doesn't have other things they need. So there are so many ways in which we can work together. Nobody has to deal with the preparation or the aftermath of the storm all on their own.
0: No, and we we saw a tremendous outpouring of host offer, you know, offers to host people through social media and just total strangers in some cases that said, you know, just we we can handle you come to our home. We have food, we have warm beds and that comes in handy we saw that after Hurricane Michael here, where I live, um, people coming to Tallahassee from Bay and Gulf County and the affected areas and and just needing a place to put their head down. You know, the the community service and help is, comes before, during and after. And so that's a really great reminder. There's also a lot of creative ways that businesses like we've seen restaurants that had. Ice machines and generators they become the most popular restaurant in the town <laughs> because they give people yeah. ice afterwards for free, and they just put up a sign and you know all kinds of it's a wonderful outpouring to see that element yeah. of it and, and to celebrate it and to inspire others with creative ideas of how to help. Now a lot of times businesses don't realize, gosh, you know what? I never thought about it, but this is what we have to offer. You know we have clean, safe yeah. water or ice. Or maybe you can just come inside and sit in the air conditioning for a few hours before you go back to your yard to clean up in the heat. So that community yeah, service bucket reason, is critical.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the reason I also agree with what you said about this being probably the most important aspect of the Hurricane Strong uh, set of pillars is that helping someone can be in the area of all of the other aspects of Hurricane Strong. You can help out somebody with their evacuation plan and carrying that out. You can help somebody out with supplies. You can help somebody out by helping them strengthen their home, helping them put their shutters up or whatever it might be, driving them to their insurance checkup. I mean, you can help out somebody with every aspect of hurricane resilience.
0: That's excellent. So let's talk about another part of this. This is where you really made it clear that we had to have something for the kids. Why was it so important to you to have an element of fun in Hurricane Strong to involve the children?
1: Well, I've come to understand over the years that presenting something in a way that's not entertaining or that's not engaging <laughs> or not compelling is is going to lessen the chance that your message gets through. And I was inspired by what you all did uh, with Stormstruck to, in an educational but very compelling and entertaining way, get some very important messages across. And television, you have to do the same. If you're not at least somewhat interesting and, quite frankly, entertaining and compelling, no one's going to listen to you. So So you have to... It has to be... and, And
0: I was going to say, you have to tell everybody what we did,
1: though. Yes, yes, of course. Um, And this was inspired by my son, who was a lot younger when we conceived of this. He's almost as tall as me now. (laughs) But I've wanted to think of something that I could do, like if I visited schools or if I just wanted to get my son interested in this, how would I get him engaged and how would I get kids engaged? So it had to be something fun and once we started sitting around that table figuring out what do we call this what's the what's the phrase what's the call to arms what do you say and i thought well what can the kids do you know what can they spread around on social media what can they say what can they have fun doing and i i don't remember how we all you know came to this idea but I thought, well, if there's something, a picture that somebody can take, something fun somebody can do and take a picture of it and send it around on social media, a pose or something, uh, some sort of signal, whatever. And you, know, you all have used the word strong for many years about how to get ready and, and be resilient, strong families, strong homes. That, that word strong really stuck with me. And then I just envisioned somebody making a fist or making a muscle. And I thought my, uh, at the time, my elementary school, aged son would love just making some muscles and making a fist. And then I just did that and then I started to see, wow, this can actually turn into the shape of a hurricane symbol and we went from there. So, and it worked, my my son loved it. And he, I remember I was I was at a big outreach event in Houston with hundreds and hundreds of people in this convention center. And I was sharing with them the the main pillars of this program and why we called it Hurricane Strong. And without even being prompted, my son jumped up in front (laughs) of that huge audience and did the Hurricane Strong pose in the shape of the hurricane symbol with his muscles and fists. And and he talked about it. And kids can take the message home to mom and dad and convince them, hey, we need to have an evacuation plan. We need to get – are we insured, mom and dad? What supplies are we going to have? So it really does work to get the kids
0: involved. It really does and it and it's shown to be very very popular as you know we've had mayors, governors and even one reluctant FEMA administrator do the pose with us when we were out on tour <laughs> over the years. And because of the the clarity of the pillars that you know bringing in the kids and then the privilege when you were the director of launching this during the hurricane awareness tour this year, we reached 33 million people through focused wow. messaging on Twitter. We had 24,000 users on Twitter just talking about it. Now, obviously, this has turned out as we planned. We we do not control the hashtag Hurricane Strong, but together we've built something that when people want to message, and it's primarily pre-event preparation, et cetera, types of messaging. But when people want someone to pay attention, and they're talking about how to get ready and be prepared and recover well, they hashtag hurricane strong on Twitter. And the program growth has been very exciting because of that. So I want to talk for a second about in 2020, because of the pandemic, we couldn't go out on the hurricane awareness tour. And we talked about the tour before and, you know, the in-person events, you know, five days, either on the Atlantic coast or the Gulf coast with the hurricane center and the scientists and the pilots and, and, you know, the kind of the intelligentsia of hurricane, right? But this year we couldn't do it. So we expanded to five weeks and did a digital blitz. So what I wanted to ask you is we had very successful four years of successful tours, and then we had a digital blitz. What do we need to be thinking about for the future? I mean, we've got some success under our belts, but what should we be doing with Hurricane Strong? What's the reach goal or the different tactic or the new way of doing this? We love what you do at the Weather Channel with immersive mixed reality, but how can we take Hurricane Strong past where it is even now?
1: Well, my big dream, and I, I've shared this with, with, with you and others um, in the past, and you know it would be a lot of work, but I would like to combine all the aspects of what Hurricane Strong has done to, done to date, especially the focus on those individual topics and the social media component. but then take it to the next level where we actually I don't know if it's through an app or through a new social media platform of some kind, but I would like there to be a place, a digital place that turns into face-to-face meetings when we can do that again, that connects people with their emergency manager, with their insurance agent, with an elderly friend or family member who needs help, where Hurricane Strong is a community of people who are connecting needs with people who can provide it. You know, for how many years have we been saying to find out if you live in an evacuation zone, you know, go to this website Flash, you've helped you know promote where those web resources are or call your local officials or call your insurance agent and set up your annual insurance checkup. And people are less likely to do it if it takes a few more steps to do it. But if, if there was an online community where people were talking about these topics all the time actively on a day-to-day basis and then those people were able to connect through that online community and bam go right into your scheduling your insurance checkup and finding out your evacuation zone just make it easy and make it you know like you've said over the years a a social norm to be part of such a community don't know exactly how that would actually come to fruition but uh, i think it would sure be cool if it it existed
0: well you have just given me and all of us a tremendous challenge. And my wheels are already turning. I think because in the post pandemic, hopefully soon post, but in this world we are today, I think the virtual event has taken on a new acceptance level. And I think because of that, I think there's some real opportunity in that online community connectivity. So we'll get to work on that because that's what we do. When we get together with partners like you, we get inspired, we get challenged, and we come together and, and we solve. And so I think that as we start planning for 2021, obviously we still have to get through the rest of 2020 and we have to get you back to work because there's no rest for the weary with the seasons that we've had in the last several years, including this one. I wanna close us out by asking you, what is the, your parting thought besides this tremendous idea and inspiration that you wanna leave with us for Hurricane Strong and for people who live in the wake of hurricanes, what would you like them to know?
1: Keep sharing your stories. If you've been through a hurricane or other disaster this year or recently, or you know somebody who has, keep sharing those stories. Because through storytelling, we can, in a compelling way and in a personal way, you know, get to the heart of why we all do what we do, including in the weather business and and. and Forecasts and warnings and science and so forth is because we're trying to improve people's lives. We're trying to keep them safer before, during, and after the storm and make us all more resilient. And the only way you really can truly understand what all of this means and what needs to be done is to hear from people who've been through something where they've learned something from it and they've done something differently afterward. So keep telling those stories over and over again. Don't assume everybody's heard it before. And uh, I think we can change a lot of hearts and minds that way.
0: Well, on behalf of our listeners, I really wanna thank you again, and thank you for taking the time to share this information and create what's gonna be one of our best episodes ever on our podcast, Strong Homes, Safe Families. I do want to remind everyone that if they're interested in learning more about Hurricane Strong, they can visit hurricanestrong.org where they can access all of our free checklists and information that include the many affordable and do-it-yourself preps that you can make to protect your family and home. Our content is available in English and Spanish. And if you don't want to go digital, you can call us toll free at 877 877- 877 221-SAFE. That's 877-221-7233. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, share, and provide us a review on iTunes. And then again, until next time, thanks for listening.